0: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to Tea Break Time Travel, where every month we look at a different archaeological object and take you on a journey into their past. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Tea Break Time Travel. I'm your host, Matilda Siebrecht, and today I'm savouring a spiced black tea. And joining me on my tea break today is musician and metalsmith Samuel Merrick. And uh, are you also on tea today? Uh,
1: No, I don't have any tea or hot drinks. I'm not a very uh, tea person, I would say.
0: (laughs) You're the second guest who's come on and said, I don't actually drink tea. (laughs) (laughs) But do you, I mean, just from looking at your work and everything, I can imagine, I don't know, a pint of mead or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I prefer to not be... Under the influence of alcohol while, while walking. <laughs> uh, true. Yes. Working around hot metal. Probably not a good idea.
0: <laughs> and indeed. So as I mentioned, so you are a, a metalsmith and a musician. How I found you um, and how I know of you is through your work with Now. I realized when I was looking this up that I don't actually know how to say this word out loud. I've written it many times. Is it Carnix?
1: Yes. Carnix. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, I
0: realized I was spelling it wrong. Like my whole life, so I was saying like carinx <laughs> okay.
1: and
0: with the Y in the, anyway, so yes, carinx and so that seems sort of very specific. How did you get into that idea? So prehistoric metalworking and music combination.
1: It all started in uh, 2019 when I applied for a job in the Gaelic village where I still work now. A friend of mine was the blacksmith of this village. And he lived, so I went to apply as a blacksmith because I was uh, doing blacksmithing uh, on my own for uh, something like six or five years. Then they told me they have a blacksmith and they proposed me to uh, go for copper smith, but I never did before. And uh, at the same time, the, um, the manager of the, of the village told me they wanted to make uh, conics for the village. And uh, of course, I knew what was this instrument. I knew a little bit about it. And I was very excited about it. So they told me how to make smithing. I did few uh, exercise by bas- basic things, and then it was pretty easy because I had a uh, blacksmith's ba- background. Mm. And yeah. so at some point I started to work on the, the cons to make researches to understand how it was made first. I made the first prototype in 2019, and then the, the season at the village stopped because it stopped at the, um, at the beginning of the uh, of the fall, the mm-hmm. autumn. And uh, when I went back home, I wanted to make one conics for myself. So I made uh, more, which researches, and I finally made a first uh, walking prototype.
0: Amazing! So you said that you started with blacksmithing, and I mean, from what I, I have very limited experience with this, but from what I remember of blacksmithing and copper working, they're very different. Metalworking
1: yes. techniques, right? Yes, blacksmithing. So it's working with hot iron or or steel. Hmm. And uh, copper smithing. It's like tin smith in English. Uh, it's working with uh, sheets, uh, layers of uh, of copper-based uh, alloy metals like brass, bronze, copper, and you work mostly cold instead of mm-hmm. the of the blacksmithing where you you work with hot metal.
0: Hmm. And would you say then it took you, I mean, obviously, I don't want you to say if one's harder than the other, for example, but I mean, for example, if you know how to do blacksmithing, is it easier to pick up coppersmithing than maybe vice versa? Or are they fairly comparable in terms of the skills you need?
1: Mm, No, I would say it definitely helped me to have made blacksmithing before, because you work with hammers with pair of tongs also and uh, you have you need fire also at some point for warm up the your metal in coppersmithing oh. so uh, it was the same tools basically and uh, the same way of holding a hammer so yes it helped to have made some blacksmithing before
0: hmm. And did you also then kind of specialize when you were doing it as I guess a hobby before did you specialize in historic or prehistoric techniques as well? Or were you working as like a, a modern blacksmith or, or hobbying um, as a modern blacksmith?
1: No, I'm working uh, as a modern blacksmith and coppersmith because working like they did in the Iron Age is very hard. I mean, uh, I'm alone in my workshop and they weren't, obviously, mm. because uh, there is a lot. If if you don't have power tools or or torch uh, gaze, gas, cast flames, uh, you need uh, to be many people working to have a workflow and to mm. uh, to be able to to, to, to do the, the steps that you do now alone with power tools.
0: Hmm. Yeah. No, that's true. I hadn't really thought of that before because indeed, when I my very small experience I had with blacksmithing, my husband, then boyfriend at the time came along to be the bellows boy oh, yeah. and do the bellows and everything. And uh, yeah, so I guess... You now, know for
1: that. example, is the welding, the, the, cornice, the cornices mm. are welded uh, with tin. And nowadays we use a torch flame and a tin wire and the product to clean the, the, the metal before welding. But back in time, they, they had to use flames of uh, candles and also mm. red hot. Bars of steel to warm up the metal, and it was. It m- might have been very difficult because today it's not very easy to to master uh, tin welding uh, properly with modern tools. So I don't even want to imagine how they did back in time.
0: <laughs> a lot of burns, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> very thick leather. But did you also? I won't give too much away because we're going to talk about it in a second. But the the specialty that you're looking at is from. prehistoric and historic time period. Were you always interested in those time periods?
1: I used before to to work at this village, I used to be uh, very into uh, medieval things, medieval music, medieval Hmm. history, uh, medieval things. And then uh, working in this village opened my eyes on the proto-historic and prehistoric and Iron age times because of of that work.
0: Yeah. No, that's really fascinating. And I think you might be the first guest I have who's more, from a European perspective at least, who's, who's uh, not just prehistory, <laughs> because <laughs> I have to admit, probably I'm a little biased in most of the objects I pick from prehistory, So because I am a prehistorian. So uh, that's really uh, interesting to have someone from from both perspectives. Mm. And on that note, if you could travel back in time, where do you think you would go and why?
1: I would definitely go to Neolithic, the, the end of, of Paleolithic and, and maybe also the Bronze Age. It's time periods I really like because it's full of mystery, and uh, it's also the beginning, the the starting point of our uh, modern society nowadays. And uh, it will be very interesting to see how people, or society was organized at the time. Also, for the Bronze Age, it's because I, I really love the bronze metal itself and all the thing it represents uh, in terms of. Uh, of transforming the societies and also the way of working the the metal itself.
0: Yeah, you could see how they were doing with what you were talking about before, with welding the the pieces together. (laughs) Well, thank you very, very much for joining me on my tea break today. And before we look at today's object, which we've already mentioned a little bit, we're first going to journey back this time to 100 BC, to Iron Age, and now I'm probably going to mispronounce this, tongue.
1: Tantignac?
0: Tantignac. Tantignac, yes. In France. High school French didn't let me down. Um, And unlike our usual peaceful journeys to the past, this one is filled with noises, smells, emotions. Hundreds of people fill the space, the smell of sweat, blood, mud permeates the air, screams and cries and the clashing of metal on metal, metal on leather, metal cleaving through skin. But then suddenly there's another sound, a loud blasting call that reverberates around the hills and within every head. Looking up to the top of the nearby hill, you see a line of figures, each one blowing into the end of a around two meter long bronze horn. Each horn is topped with a beautifully crafted head, wide ears, carved eyes, gaping jaws from which emits the blasting noise. And that's what we're looking at today, which is indeed, as I've recently discovered, a carinx um, And we'll get into the details soon. But first, I always like to have a look at the most asked questions on the internet. And this is when I realized I've been spelling it wrong, because I was looking up carinx and nothing was coming up. And I was going, how is this possible? Surely, surely something exists on Google about the carinx And then I realized, oh, wait, it's not. It's the carnix So anyway, here are the questions. So the first question was, what does a karnix sound like? Which, Samuel, as you have created, I guess, several replicas at this point, you'll have a good idea of this. So what does a karnix sound like?
1: Yeah, actually, I can play it for you right now, if you want.
0: (gasps) Oh, amazing! (laughs) it. Oh, very cool. Thank you so much for playing that. I admit, I was, I didn't even think to ask you to play it, so <laughs> thank you for offering.
1: So you have high notes and, and low notes, low notes are like a bit like a didgeridoo. Mm-hmm. And then you have these high notes, like, uh, which are a bit like uh, a trombone, I would say, or a modern brass instrument.
0: Mm-hmm. And actually this relates to the second question, which is how does a Karnix work? Because I was also curious about this. So I play the French horn. So I'm familiar with that kind of mouthpiece and I guess it's similar because Karniks don't have finger holes or anything like that, right? And, yeah.
1: No, it's a natural horn, well, mm-hmm. I, would, I would say. So you don't have any holes or keys to play the note. It's all by the, um, the power of your, your breathing and the, the, the shape of your lips. Mm-hmm. So it's like any other uh, brass instrument. You have to make mm-hmm. with your lips mm-hmm. to, to play, to make a, a sound. And then by mixing the, the, the air and the shape of the lips, you have all the notes. Amazing. And also what's what, she, what it is very interesting on on the mouthpiece of the cornix is that it is flat on most of the modern brass instruments you have uh, some kind of little cup mm-hmm. where you put your lips but on the cornice's mouthpieces it's it's flat you don't have any cup so that makes the sound less uh, middly. Uh, it removes some middles in the the audio frequencies
0: Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine how I would, how I would play that. I'm trying to think because I have a horn that I got in some antique market somewhere, which it's not completely flat, but indeed it's got a very wide and flat rim to it, which makes mm-hmm. it very difficult for me to play at least because I'm used to the little okay. French horn ones. Oh, interesting. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a sec, cause we're going to go into more detail. Okay. But the last question from our lovely audience on Google Google search is, are carnics animals? Um, I guess by this they mean the kind of design of it.
1: Well, it certainly has an animal head on the top. The word carnix itself refers to these animals uh, because the word carnix is a Greek word that comes Mm -hmm. from Northern Africa. In French, it has the the same etymology as uh, carnassier, carnivore, uh, carnivorous. And so it refers to uh, this animal.
0: Okay. So it's, yeah, it's not necessarily a particular kind of animal. It's more a sort of type?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Actually, all the cornishes found in the ground are wild boar, except one in Titignac, which is a snake. And the archaeologists think it it might be a snake with uh, goat horns, but the goat horns were never found because the snake with goat head is a very common figure in uh, Celtic mythology.
0: Interesting. Do you replicate the same kind of design each time? Or do you base it on a design, but it's your own design? Or how does that work?
1: I always make the, the same uh, head and the same conics. I, I base my my work on the, um, the discovery of Dentignac. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in this discovery, there is six cornices found, and it's uh, something like four or five different heads. I, I don't remember exactly. So I picked one head and I picked one pair of ears, but we don't know if that ear were uh, linked to that head. Oh. And also I picked one crest, but we don't know if that crest was belonged to the same head and ears, uh, carnyx. Because most of the time, if you type uh, Carnix-Tintignac in Google, you'll see one Carnix, it's the the biggest one, mm-hmm. and that one is very famous, but that one is very well made by all the Co- coppersmiths. Mm-hmm. So I decided to make another one that was not made based on the discovery of Tintignac.
0: Okay, interesting. And that's really interesting then that they wouldn't have necessarily all been the same, like they would have all potentially been different mixes.
1: No, it's different heads every time. Huh? Interesting. As I said, it's uh, most of the time it's a wild boar, hmm. but mm-hmm. it's uh, very uh, different, uh, stylized, and uh, very um, in a in a Gaulish, in a Celtic style. So it's very uh, with, with weird shapes.
0: Mm-hmm. And how many of the kind of archaeological pieces have you looked at? Would you say it would be each design is from a different? coppersmith, or it, could it be that the same coppersmith is making variations with each replica based on your own experience as well?
1: It's interesting. It's very interesting. But very few heads were found by archaeologists head of hmm. conics, Mostly so in France, in Ditignac, six heads, but uh, two or three of them are not full. Also in north of France, a uh, long time ago, a small piece of the left side of, another conics were of, of, of of a head, I mean, we found mm. also in Italy, in San Zeno, I think, a piece of the head. And they are all kind of similar in style, but mm-hmm. different from each other. And then you have the famous deskfold Cornix find in Scotland. And uh, this one uh, has a very different head than the one found in on, on the continent, I would say. So, uh, of course, uh, every is found nowadays were made by different crafters Mm. because they are very spaced in time. Uh, I mean, the conics in Titignac, I I think, belongs to the first century BC, Mm. but uh, the, the other ones in the other parts of Europe are older or younger. So they were made by different people, but you can see some kind of of same style uh, in it. But that's for for the the Koenigs of of the sword. Uh, it's a very different style in it.
0: Is that the one where I'm just thinking of Brave, the Pixar film, <laughs> and there's like a kind oh, of in it. that one? Well, and, the, and it's got like a tongue that
1: yes, a wooden wiggles? tongue. Yeah, yeah I, mm. I, just, I found that It's way more round
0: yeah and it's got like big eyes the the kind of round eyes yes yeah i think i know i think i know the one
1: (laughs) waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help our us-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll
0: reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's
1: mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: So on which note, let us move on to the next section. So we do know a bit more about the carnics. Thank you, Google search. And thank you, Samuel, but perhaps you could tell us more about it. So we've already talked a little bit about kind of the physical evidence that we have for carnics and I mean, it sounds like there's not that much, actually. Do we have other like written evidence for them?
1: There is written evidence and there is also visual uh, sources. The written evidence were written by Greeks and Romans people talking about the Celtic tribes. (laughs) And they said most of the time that They used the conics on the battlefield to put fear into the enemy Mm -hmm. and to make themselves strong before the attack. And also sometimes that is a bit weird. They said they make very high pitched notes with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also said that there is a lot of this instrument on the battlefield, but it Mm -hmm. does not refer specifically uh, as the conics. They said brass instrument in general.
0: Okay. So do you think that there may have been multiple types? I mean, what other, uh, uh, now I'm speaking as someone who has absolutely no idea about this, but uh, I mean, how many different kinds of horn brass instruments were there at this time around Europe or in the Celtic countries?
1: We, we don't really know. During the Iron Age for the Celtic tribes, it's mostly the conics but uh, during prehistoric times in Ireland, for example, you have very uh, many different horns, bronze horns, but that is way before the Iron Age. Uh, but the problem with this uh, instrument that uh, it is that it can be remelted and it is mm. a very expensive metal. So I think when people did not have uh, the use of it anymore they just remelted and make new objects in bronze with it
0: even back then, the arts were just not appreciated. <laughs> they were remelting down all these instruments. Yeah. Indeed, you mentioned just then, and and we sort of talked about when we did our little time travel segment as well, that the assumption is that they were used in battle. Do you agree with this? I mean, I assume that you don't use it in battle now <laughs> when you have your replicas.
1: No, I don't have a lot of use in battle with the comics. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, that was what the Greeks and the Romans brought us. And it, it might be true for sure, but also they didn't write uh, many things. And, but thanks with the discovery of Tintinac, archaeologists also think uh, these instruments were used during religious rituals and ceremonies. Because the cornices of Tantignac were found in a Gaulish sanctuary Mm -hmm. and also the cornices were destroyed by the Gauls before to be put in, in this sanctuary in the ground.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, like you know, sacrificing the weapons, the swords, yeah. uh, destroyed and put in the ground. So the same way. So this is why archaeologists think it might also have been used for rituals. And also yeah. very interesting on the um, on the cornices, the mouthpiece is straight, not curved. So it's very hard to play it uh, in in the battlefield because you have you need to have your head back, bounced back, uh, to play the conics. Or you have to be two with someone holding it in front of you. You don't have a curved mouthpiece. I don't know if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you have, yeah, you have to have your head, if if it's going to be straight up, you have to have your head like all
1: the way. (laughs) Yes. So it's not very convenient on the battlefield. And uh, all the, the mouthpieces of cornices ever found are straight. There is only two mouthpieces found, one in Tantignac and one in Sanzeno in Italy. And they are both very similar and both of them are straight and we never found any curved mouthpiece of, for cornices. But speaking of what I, w- I was saying uh, two minutes ago, uh, I said also you have visual uh, representation of the conics mm-hmm. and one of the most famous is the one of the Gundestrip cauldron.
0: Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. you can see a military protest and three people playing the conics at the end of the protest. Ooh. And they are playing the conics with the head right not uh, not back okay uh, so like if the the mouthpiece were curved, but this cordon is is bit. It's a bit of an issue because it was not made by Celtic tribes. It was made by um, a Central European tribe. I don't remember the name.
0: Oh.
1: and It was made for uh, Celtic tribes. So the people creating that uh, design were not Celts. And we don't even know if they already saw before uh, conics in use. Because when you uh, get closer and look at uh, the mouth, and the mouthpiece of the conix, you can see it's not very clear. It's a bit weirdly really shaped like if the artist didn't knew how it was really made. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That's almost similar to those all those medieval tapestries, right, of picturings of hares and they just look like, I don't know, rhinoceros or something. Like, you know, you can yes. tell the artist was told, just do this animal. and They had no idea what it looked like. Yeah. So I like, guess someone was told, do a conix. And they were like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> guess I'll do it this way. Which then with your replicas, are you making them also then with the straight or with curved?
1: I make both. Mm-hmm. Customers can order straight, curved, or both. I also made a um, screwing system that you, that allows okay. you to switch mouth pieces.
0: Ooh, clever, clever. And so when you play the straight one, because I'm just thinking from a brass playing perspective, it would be so hard just to get the airflow if you've got your head all the way back. So, I mean, when you play it yeah. with a straight mouthpiece, do you have it kind of lying flat instead?
1: Yeah, when I play on stage with my band, I have a leg holding the conics. So I mm. play it in front of me. It's very more convenient. But when I make the demonstration at the Celtic Village, I play it with my head bounced back to show people uh, that it was uh, how it could have been used uh, mm. back in time.
0: Amazing. Oh, that's really interesting. And indeed, that's really interesting that it was depicted by other people in a different way so mm-hmm. yeah you don't know how much whether people maybe did see it and indeed they did the Karniks were straight up but then they weren't really paying attention to the heads of the players or whether mm-hmm. they just assume oh it's this really long thing therefore yeah, it must be we played don't know. straight up mm-hmm. hmm. oh, fascinating <laughs> because also I, now i'm just really thinking about this because the heads i guess if you would play it when you play it straight, do you play it that the head is facing up or the head, like the head of the carnex is facing up or the head is facing down?
1: The head is facing up. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. cause otherwise the
0: sound will go into the floor. So yeah. Yeah.
1: It's way more interesting to have mm. the sound, uh, with the head up.
0: Oh, oh fascinating. Now I want to, <laughs> now I want to try one and <laughs> see how it is. <laughs> but, uh, one day, one day I will try one. And so, yeah, no, that's really fascinating. And then we've talked a little bit of already about, about that there are other kind of brass instruments. And I guess, I mean, obviously nowadays you don't have like horns in battle, but like in historic times and even medieval and, and kind of pre-modern times, you had still that idea of the heralds in battle kind of coming in with the horns. So I guess mm-hmm. it has developed from that, would you say? Or do you think it's kind of the Carnics? the Karnix-
1: yeah, sorry, can I... it's, it's very, it's very interesting to see that brass instruments are still in use in the military uh, purpose. I mean, hmm. and they uh, obviously it was also back in the Iron Age, and I think it also was during the Bronze Age because of the Scandinavian bronze lures. um, You know, this S shape horns that uh, comes from the Bronze Age in Scandinavia, mostly Denmark, also a little bit of northern Germany and um, south of Sweden and Norway. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are very big horns, mostly found by pairs. And they are from 1,000 uh, BC, something like that, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also think they were used in battle. So the the history of brass instruments during battles uh, is start, started way back in time
0: oh, I mean let's be honest they are the most epic sounding instrument you
1: know I, mean? <laughs> I yeah, always yeah. say when we're listening to films I always sort of nudge my
0: friends and go that, that's the French horn <laughs> in the background because it <laughs> always just sounds so cool if you have an epic yeah. film soundtrack or anything yeah, it's always going to be brass instruments <laughs>
1: And you also have to to uh, think that uh, back in time, the the word was very more silent, so mm-hmm. having this kind of sound were uh, really extraordinary.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been frightening. Mm. Yeah, to have that that loud, and especially, I mean, out on a battlefield. But even if you were in any kind of inside or or, or kind of echoing area, it would have been mm. even more so. Which- yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Oh, amazing. So because the, the carnix is indeed associated, as you mentioned before, with kind of Celtic peoples. Mm-hmm. And this idea that you said as well before with the, the, the style and the design is very much kind of Celtic style as well, with the animal heads, the, the boar head or the snake or, or that kind of thing on the top. Do we see that so, so instruments with animal heads on them or, or that kind of thing progress? after the kind of end of the Celtic, I don't know what, what you would call it. It's not really the end of the Celtic culture, but when, when it kind of moves on and progresses in time, yeah. do we see that continue or is it limited to the sort of early early Celtic peoples?
1: So do you mean, do we see an evolution of the Cornics in yeah, time? Yeah, I guess yeah. that's
0: an easier way to say,
1: <laughs> <laughs> to say what I was just saying in about 27 words. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't have in mind any other kind of horns with animal head at the top? Yeah. I don't think I came across that, except for the cornices When the the Celtic tribes, the Celtic people were uh, mixed to the Romans and other cultures, I don't know. It's it's mostly I, I speak for from for the the, the French point of view where mm. it, it mostly became a uh, Roman culture yeah. and. I don't know. I don't think uh, these kind of horns were uh, very in use anymore. Hmm.
0: Mm. Which is such a shame that, because they're so cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Would think, I mean,
0: do you do you have do you think that maybe they were just I don't know the the Romans or, or or the next people who came and were conquering just sort of thought nope this isn't this isn't in line with what we <laughs> think.
1: I don't know. <laughs> why, I have why no do you think idea. <laughs> I, I have no idea, I, and and also as I told earlier, it, it could be remelted to, to have the, the mm. metal reused. Mm. So uh, yeah,
0: oh, which is just so sad to
1: think yeah. how many
0: possible <laughs>
1: characters yeah, there were.
0: <laughs> but uh, no, I find yeah, I find that really interesting. I also always find it interesting. I mean, I use the term Celtic in this podcast, but that term in itself is is very problematic, I guess, because there's this there's so much diversity within it. And mm. indeed, like you said, they were kind of mixed in through all these things. But it is interesting that you do have objects like the Carnics, which are kind of, they, they can be associated with that concept, I guess, the, yes. the Celtic concept, which is uh, always interesting. And uh, I'm also curious, so you're, I just wanted to ask as well, so you had experience as well before with playing brass instruments. You mentioned a band uh, already. Is that also something that kind of affected how you look at this, at the archaeology? So when you're creating replicas, does your understanding as a musician affect how you interpret the archaeology or is it sort of, how, how does that work in, in your... Uh, process of replication shall we say?
1: I never played any brass instruments before the conics okay. but I, I play uh, a lot of uh, other instruments uh, string and uh, wind instruments also mm-hmm. and when I first recreated re- remade the the conics based on the the archaeological paper of Tintinyag I had to tune it because it was not tempered as we say, it's a musical term that means that it's in the in the scale of the Western modern music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I had to tune it to uh, be able to play this instrument with uh, other modern instruments. Otherwise, it's it will sound false, wrong.
0: Interesting. Which, yeah, I guess is something, I mean, that's always something when they talk about kind of ancient music and mm-hmm. all of that, that it's such a it's so based on our interpretation or how we play it and all of that kind of, yeah, I didn't even think about the tuning yeah. side of things.
1: Yeah. So every time I make a conix, I, 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 tune it, but not if, if the customer want it, uh, like the archaeological tuning, I just leave it uh, that way. But mm-hmm. because it's mostly for playing with, uh, with other instruments, uh, I, I tune it. So I just have to cut the beginning of the tube uh, and try until uh, the, the notes are, are right.
0: Mm. Have you ever gone too far and then it just gets to the head and you're like, ah. Oh.
1: <laughs> no, I'm very careful.
0: <laughs> no, but that's also fascinating. And actually, I'm curious. I am said in our little time travel section that they're about two meters long. How big are they, though? I'm sort of picturing in my mind two meters, but I couldn't find any
1: real. Oh, the you mean the length of the conics. Yeah. No, it's not two meters. It's uh, one meter and uh, 70 uh, centimeter high.
0: Okay.
1: Something mm-hmm. like that. It's as tall as a person, basically, yeah, okay. uh, but you also have the the ears and the crest uh, that can be very big,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but the tube itself it's, it's it's just as tall as a person
0: and the the way that it's made, I mean I'm assuming like the head is
1: hollow, yes, it is.
0: and is there any kind of shaping within the head kind of compared to the shape outside or?
1: Yes, because there is the shape outside, but you have to hammer um, the metal by inside mm-hmm. to make the line goes outside. So you have the the, um, the inverting uh, design inside the head and the head is working like a bell on, uh, on the modern um, brass instrument. Mm-hmm. It amplifies uh, the sound. And also the ears are uh, also uh, involving the sound a little bit because they are uh, vibrating and making some kind of reverb.
0: Interesting.
1: That and that is why also archaeologists think uh, that why their ears are so big on, on the conics.
0: Oh, yeah. which makes sense. Why you then put like horns and ears on a snake? <laughs> so, yeah. Otherwise, it would be a very boring instrument, I guess, because <laughs> it would just be the the head. But that must mean as well that every different head shape, type, animal thing, also creates a slightly different sound.
1: Oh uh, yeah, but it's. Very minor uh, changing okay. the sound, I would say, uh, because wh- what will be uh, very impacting the sound on this instrument is the, the diameter and the, the length of the tube itself. Okay. But as I told earlier, continental style of conics head almost sounds the same. But the one in Scotland, in Dexford, uh, is, is a very different head. And it's also a very different sounding according to uh, John Kenny, which is a Scottish conics player, mm-hmm. which play both. He has a replica of Tintignac and also a replica of Deskford. Oh, cool. And he says the, they are very different in sound because of the head.
0: Well, and um, because the the Tintinyak one, like I say, I can maybe just remember this tongue from the the Scottish one, like that must be, because the Tintinyak one doesn't, Tintinyak, sorry, uh, one doesn't have anything inside the mouth, right?
1: No, it's like an open mouth. Yeah. And uh, the Scottish one uh, is more closed, like like a human head.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I'm now really curious. I will try and find a link of, of that being played. Um, yeah,
1: you, you can you can have, uh, you have on YouTube, you you just type John Kenny Connicks and you have uh, him playing both of them and, and
0: uh, doing oh, perfect. this. <laughs> I will find the link to that and I will put it in the podcast uh, notes so that people can listen because I want to listen to that now <laughs> and hear what the difference is. I've always wanted to play one. I think they had some, I was at a conference somewhere and they had, I can't remember if they were, carnics or if they were just horns mm. but the long horns and i really wanted to have a go but there was a long line of people and i had to go back to the conference but uh, one day one day i will play a <laughs> hey archaeology podcast fans anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times coffee however awesome it is has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation that's why we partnered with Laird superfoods They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code, Travel at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes.
1: Hey, podcast fans. I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code Travel at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code... Tea break time travel at liquidiv.com.
0: Okay, so we did already introduce you a little bit, Samuel, in the beginning of this episode, in terms of your kind of metalworking background. But I thought we could maybe talk a bit more about the music side of things and also, of course, your business um, mm-hmm. that you have making the, the Karenix uh, and, and your work as a musician. So you founded a, a band, I believe I saw, and I apologize, by the way, if any of this information is incorrect, um, but uh, yeah, go GoFunnel.
1: Yes, you can say um, GoFanel. And we're also part of
0: another group, NerdGoth. So what's, what kind of music, what was your inspiration for creating those groups?
1: So I created these bands way before uh, I started to recreate the conics. And uh, Gophannon is my uh, the band I, I created uh, in 2016, and uh, it's uh, some kind of folk acoustic, pagan folk, uh, or dark folk music using modern both and ancient instruments in it. We just added the, the conics in it something like one or two years ago, so it's very recent. Hmm. And I don't have any album yet, recorded album with the Conics in it, but I'm working on it. <gasps> Excellent. <laughs> and the other band, Nethergott, got it's Celtic punk music, Very cool. uh, and it also started way before. But I didn't uh, create it. Uh, this band, it's a band I, I joined uh, something like five or six years ago, mm-hmm. and I play guitar in it. And uh, we also added the Conics on the, on the live set a little bit.
0: Oh. And I'm always curious because I, I mean, I love that style of music and everything. I always loved it. I used to attend a lot of like medieval festivals and things, and you always have these amazing bands that yeah. I guess are similar styles and just such cool music because it's, yeah, using these slightly different instruments to what you're used to, but it's kind of recognizable enough. But do the the members of, of your band, I mean, were they kind of Uh, shall we say, modern musicians and then became interested in more historic times? Or was it straight from the beginning? I mean, like you, your first experience with brass instruments was the (laughs) Karnex.
1: No, uh, Inga Fanon, it's mostly uh, traditional musician or folk. And uh, so they are very uh, into uh, historical music. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have two teachers in the band, also uh, in uh, uh, French and Occitan. And also we have another musician that comes from a medieval band. Uh, These are people uh, very interested in in, uh, historical music. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in Nedergot, we are nine on stage. So it's very different people, uh, but it's also people that come from both either metal music or uh, traditional uh, European uh, music.
0: And in terms of, I mean, we spoke very briefly before about the fact that when you are looking at, for example, ancient or prehistoric music, so before things were written down, before notes were written, I guess, I mean, how do you think those sounds that we now associate in the modern day, I mean, like I was just saying, I go to these, you know, medieval festivals, and I hear the music, and I'm like, oh yes, that was definitely <laughs> what they were playing back then. But I mean, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's the kind of earliest music that we have? Do you know, like how how life, far back like does it the, go? Uh, I you...
1: know, um, I know, the Greeks during uh, antiquities had written music, so uh, I think that um, the oldest European music you can find. But yeah, I think the the Greeks ones, uh, you have the aulos, uh, it's uh, uh, two, uh, someone playing two uh, kind of reed instruments at the same time, like two oboes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you also have uh, the lyre mm-hmm. uh, and singing and drums, I think, uh-huh. if I remember correctly.
0: Okay. And would they have used the same like musical notation that we do?
1: I don't think so. I, I don't know a lot about it, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's very different.
0: Yeah, that would be, oh, that'd be real, yeah. now I'm curious. But I
1: know that there is people specialised in it. They, uh replay uh, the the written the music of, of ancient Greeks.
0: Okay. So oh, I'll find have to find that. Look that up, see if I can find. Because, yeah, that would be really, I mean, that's, I guess, the closest you can get almost <laughs> to mm. replicating uh, past music. And your, so uh, as you sort of mentioned, your musical work in, in those bands, but also in by yourself has sort of focused a lot on the kind of I guess, Northern Northwest European music, kind of the traditional music and the folk music, I think. (laughs) Is
1: is that correct? It depends. On Goffanen, we have influences from different parts in Europe. I sing most of the time in Occitan. Occitan is one of the regional languages of southern France. Mm -hmm. But in in France, regional languages are dying. It's like uh, almost nobody uh, speaks them anymore. Mm -hmm. And of course, these languages came with a culture, uh, with dances, with music, with dressing. So we also uh, sing traditional songs from Occitan, southern France. Oh, Oh, cool. So that is more Mediterranean uh, music, I would say, but we don't really play it Mediterranean. We tend to make uh, dark music close to the heavy metal scene vibe I would say okay. mm-hmm. but using acoustic instruments okay. and uh, also I sing in English and in uh, and a little bit in Swedish and in French and yeah I'm, I'm also very uh, um, I, I like a lot Scandinavian music mm-hmm. and in the band we have someone playing a uh, bass Nickel Harper uh, you know the some kind of the, the, the Swedish violin with keys okay so I ah, use uh, yes, yeah, yeah It the- is a, a traditional Swedish instrument bringing a very uh, northern sound I would say we we just have uh, many different influences in in Gofanen, uh, from mm-hmm. all over Europe and in nedergot it's uh, a little bit of the same, I would say, but it's more uh, punk and metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, we have a, a, a punk drum and a high, high gain guitars, and we also play a traditional song from Eastern Europe mm-hmm. and the uh, Mediterranean and Northern Irish Celtic, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I always find it so. I, I was trying to research the history of drums the other day, mm-hmm. slightly unrelated, um, and it was I found it really interesting how. The kind of earliest evidence for drums that we have come from all these different parts of the world. And even though they're the same basic instrument, it's slightly different in each part. So I'm always curious with people who work with kind of historic music, sort of how much international influence as well there would have been. Or, I mean, do you think there would have been more interaction between different, I don't know, musical cultures, shall we say, like back back in the past?
1: Mm, I don't really know. We we know for sure people are still from also already in prehistoric times people were traveling a lot, <laughs> and there is a, a, a there is instrument found in Europe. I'm thinking about the romb. I don't know the English name of it. In French, is rhomb. It's a piece of wood or bone flat attached to a rope. Ah, and that it, you swing it,
0: around. Yeah, you
1: turn yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I just noticed. It's of motor sound. Yes, yeah, and, which and is very popular in Australia, right? Yeah, it's that very popular in Australia. It's yeah. used and it was also found in the same instrument in a cave in Germany, uh, oh. something like 20,000 years BC or something like that.
0: Amazing. The, so, the first German, you know, backpacker had gone off to Australia, yeah. <laughs> done his year abroad.
1: <laughs> Broadpacker. Oh, what are so they we, called? We, we found similarities. Uh, I mean, instruments
0: mm-hmm.
1: like that, uh, a bit everywhere. Uh, like also the, um, the Jew harp, uh, traveled a lot from Asia to Europe.
0: That's the one you have in your mouth between yes, your teeth. and it's
1: in metal. It can also be oh, in which wood. Which I hate yeah. playing. <laughs> I have one here. It's that one. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) So that was
0: sort of found everywhere as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. We know this instrument uh, traveled a lot. It's found in Europe, in in Asia, in in Southern Asia, close to Australia also.
0: Mm, Interesting. So, yeah. So there definitely was a lot of interaction, which makes Mm. sense because it's a very international language, I guess. Music. One of the few. but uh, And I happened to notice when I was looking on your Instagram, and I think it is something that would be interesting to mention, Do um, you very specifically state n- that you do not welcome neo-Nazis, fascists or nationalists. And I remember speaking to other friends who, for example, are very heavily involved in Viking reenactment mm. or that kind of thing. They have similar issues that there's Kind of that overlap uh, a lot of the time with those groups and that kind of time period. Do you have a big problem with these groups because of your focus?
1: I don't have a lot. I don't know if it's because I, I said I won't want them you know, <laughs> on my Instagram. Maybe I hope so. But yeah, uh, it's it's the problem when you are speaking about European history and mostly mm-hmm. white European history. You will uh, attract and this kind of people. And I don't want them to use my work, you know, to, to suit their they needs or they, uh, their fantasies. Mm, yeah. So th- this is why I, I specifically say that they are not welcome. Mm. And uh, yeah, they, they used to, to message me sometimes uh, and this kind of people and, uh, and now, uh, Actually, I would say a bit less.
0: <laughs> I mean, you have made it very clear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they, are,
0: they are unwelcome. But indeed, I always think that's such a shame that you have, I don't know, that, that indeed these parts, it's very specific parts of history and uh, that, that uh, are so yeah, sensitive now. Like you mm. can't always yes. be as passionate about it necessarily as you want to because people might assume the wrong thing as well. and. Mm. Which is, uh, yeah, but no, but no, I was, I was, uh, it was mainly just, I was really interested that it was so specific. I wondered if you'd had any particular problems. <laughs> but, uh,
1: yeah. No, it's just, I don't want them to, to use my work.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Yeah. And indeed, so, so you decided to focus on, on creating the, the current, car, car I've spelt it wrong here again. Yeah. I was about to say karenix, but no, it's the karenix, um, with, uh, your, your, Business, ob- Obrador, uh, obrador mm-hmm. uh, Forge and Craft. But uh, that seems a very specific niche. <laughs> um, yeah. What, it is. what are the sort of advantages or disadvantages of that kind of specialization, would you say? Uh,
1: advantages that we are very few in Europe making this. I think we mm-hmm. are something like 20 in Europe. I think uh, something like five, four or five in France. And uh, most of the people uh, recreating the conics are not musicians. And I really wanted to bring this instrument into um, a musical, how to say, uh, a musical, context. Uh, oh. yeah, context, yeah. thanks. <laughs> we are very few to do it, but that means also uh, a lot of people, uh, uh, it's a bit surprising, but a lot of people want a Carnix. <laughs> I, have, I mean, myself. I want one. People are messaging me quite often. About uh, how to get one, mm-hmm. and um, so so I I, I uh, even if it's a very uh, a niche thing, I have a lot of of order, so I don't see a lot of uh, disadvantages in it. Mm. That's good, <laughs> and uh, I I really enjoy making them, and I specifically want to make only that for the moment
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to be better at it. Mm-hmm. Because every time I make a conics, I try to make the next one a little bit better and better and better. Uh, so I'm always trying to uh, to modernize the tools and kind of uh, things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And are you, I mean, the, the customers that you have, are they kind of like museums that need replicas or are they just individuals who are interested or like what's the range?
1: There, there is a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it is uh, musicians, not musicians, just uh, people liking history or that mm. does not uh, want to play or know how to play an instrument at all. Also uh, bands, uh, sometimes famous bands. I, I made the first one I made for Elevati. Oh, Wow. Also sometimes museums, I don't, I don't have uh, for now, I think, but I had also few reenactment associations from the Iron Age. Mm,
0: cool.
1: It's this kind of, of things.
0: Yeah, wide range. That's very interesting. And actually, that so do you ever have, when you're playing with, I, I don't know how, I guess with Corona, the COVID, uh, maybe you haven't had as many concerts um, in the last couple of years, but have you played at kind of concerts with your... Uh, Karnix as well?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, with my, my band uh, in Goffernan and in uh, I We played during, I would say, the the past two years or year and a half uh, when the, the, the COVID uh, started to, to end.
0: Okay. And uh, did you then have people kind of n- knowing what the Karnix was or did you get a lot of questions about it?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it brings a lot of questions from the mm-hmm. audience.
0: Sure.
1: Before the show, mostly, and uh, it depends where we play. When we play into uh, some kind of medieval historical festival, people are a bit aware of. They're what like, it is. "Yeah, what are yeah. Carnex?" <laughs> yeah. but, but <laughs> Who doesn't? You <laughs> know, the you know the context. It's uh, yeah, people mostly don't know.
0: Yeah, no, that's really fascinating. No, I always like to ask because I think that it's really uh, a couple of the other guests I've had on here are sort of similar to you in that they have very specific mixture of, of interests that they have combined mm. into a job. And I always think it's really interesting to talk about because I imagine other people might be listening in and going, well, I, I like music and I like, you know, <laughs> doing this. So it's, uh, I mean, what would you say that there, it was a slow start or is it, was it something that you didn't think would actually become a job or did you always want to make it into something that you lived off?
1: Uh, I started during the COVID. Mm. And and I, I was able to start it thanks to the COVID because I was at home uh. Uh, with my my pay uh, every month and uh, working in my um, in my uh, workshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started slowly, and uh, the more I, I, I did it, I tried to to, to make myself visible on, on the internet on, on Facebook and Instagram, and YouTube. So I posted a lot of videos and uh, pictures so people can. Uh, Found me, and and thanks to that, uh, I was able to uh, have uh, many orders.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic.
1: And yeah, I mean, congratulations that you, you've <laughs> Thank you. been
0: able to make it uh, into something that you can can make money from because that's a ma- That's always the dream, right? Is yeah. To, uh, do that, and so just as a as a final question, so if if you, what advice would you have then for anyone else who might be listening and thinking that they maybe want to follow a similar path? In their future,
1: mm, I don't know. It's always very different, uh, um, depending on on where you are, what you do at the moment. If you want to start these kind of things, I would say that you you, you must never be uh, you you must never give up. Hmm. Try even if if you you fail, thing, it's you you have to, to try and try again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a lot of trying. I, I spent one year making the the first prototype of the conics, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a lot of fails at the mm-hmm. beginning mm-hmm. until I, I found uh, something working,
0: which is amazing though, especially considering that you said you didn't even really have experience in copper work. I mean, I'm amazed that you (laughs) you have managed to be so successful at creating these conics. if you didn't really have experience with brass instruments, you didn't have experience with working copper. I mean, that's amazing. (laughs) I'm very impressed. Um, Okay, well... I think uh, that probably marks the end of our, our tea break. Okay. Probably time to get back to work. It sounds like you've got a lot of orders to fill. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll let you get back to it. But thank you so, so much for joining me thank uh, today, you. Samuel. It was really it's great to talk to, me. to you.
1: And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I appreciate it. it was nice.
0: <laughs> and if anyone who's listening wants to find out more about uh, Samuel's work, everything that we've been talking about today, so Operator of craft or the uh, Go GoFanon or Nerdogoth, I will put the link uh, into the show notes. I'll also try to find that video about playing the different kind of carnics and other kinds of prehistoric music as well that we've talked about today so do check out the show notes uh, on the podcast homepage. and uh, yeah i hope that everyone enjoyed our journey today and see you next month for another episode of tea break time travel i hope that you enjoyed our journey today if you did make sure to like follow subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and i'll see you next month for another episode of tea break time travel